Thank you, Clark, and good evening, everybody. Uh, like Clark mentioned, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Grace Church, and if we haven't had a chance to meet, would love to get a chance to do that, get to know you a little bit. But I, I did have, uh, I guess, kind of a special announcement. I don't know if it's really an announcement. It's maybe more of a special uh, kind of emphasis I just wanted to remind everyone about, and that is this. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks here, uh, you probably know that we've been talking a lot about Easter coming up next week. And uh, I just want to reemphasize, communicate, and overly communicate uh, about Easter coming up. We're super excited. Next week, we're going to have six uh, different service opportunities for people to get connected. To. So we'll have two Saturday evening services and four Sunday morning services uh, for Easter. And the reason that I want to kind of over-communicate that is because the regular service times, especially on Sunday, are going to be changing. And so I, I just, I just want to make sure you show up at the right time, at the right place, so that way you don't come in the middle of a service because of some miscommunication. So I want to over-communicate that uh, to you. But also, I wanted to just mention that if you are a person who calls the Medina East Campus home, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I want to re-emphasize it, uh, if you're able to, and I know not everyone is able to, and it's cool if you can't, uh, but if you're able to relocate your family to one of the earlier services, so to either the services on Saturday, uh, you're already at the 7 o'clock on Saturday, which I always tell you, you guys love Jesus more than anyone else in the church for doing that, and so we love you for that. But um, whether if you can go to Saturday or if you can go to the 8 o'clock service on Sunday, that would actually be tremendously helpful. And the reason for that is because historically we have found that people tend to, more, uh, the more popular services tend to be the ones that are later on Sunday. And so by going to one of the earlier services, you're actually opening up a seat uh, for a guest. And so I wanna encourage you, if you can do that, it'd be awesome and we would love it if you could. The other thing I wanted to remind everyone about is we've been talking about those uh, invite cards that we have uh, out at the cafe. And if you go to the cafe at the Welcome Center, there's these invite cards. They look like little business cards. I just want to encourage you to grab a stack of those if you want to. And uh, Easter is often a phenomenal time to invite people out. Uh, oftentimes, people who are not typically connected to a church or who uh, won't won't typically get connected to a church, are oftentimes willing to come uh, on Easter Sunday. So it's unique in those ways. And so I want to encourage you, if you have a, a, a family member, coworker, friend, someone who maybe is not connected to church, doesn't have a church to go to for Easter, or maybe they're a person that's not connected to God, but is kind of spiritually seeking out answers to some of their questions, I think this is an awesome opportunity to invite them. And so I'd encourage you to capitalize on that. I mentioned to you that next week we're going to be starting a brand new series that's called If Jesus from the dead. And I'm really excited about this series, uh, not only because it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's also a series that's geared not just for the person who follows Jesus, but also for those who are investigating Jesus. And so uh, this is an awesome opportunity to invite people out. So I wanted to let you know about all of that and uh, kind of give you a special uh, little emphasis uh, reminding you about some of those things that are to come for Easter next week. This week, uh, we are doing something a little different than we usually do here at the Medina East Campus. So if you're a guest with us here tonight, if it's your first time here, thanks so much for, for being with us. But what you're gonna experience tonight is actually slightly different than what we typically do here at the Medina East Campus. And here's what I mean by that. The way that we tend to talk through things here at Grace Church at the Medina East Campus is kind of one sermon series at a time. And so if you're not familiar with what a sermon series is, we basically think of it as kind of one big conversation 
that we have over the course of several weeks. And, uh, and so we usually talk about something for a, you know, a whole bunch of weeks together, kind of a little bit of a sermon series, and that's kind of how we roll through things. And so, for example, we just finished a sermon series last week that was a four-week conversation. Next week, we're going to be starting a sermon series that's going to be a six-week conversation. So this week's a little different because I guess you can think of it like this. It's sort of a standalone conversation. It's kind of an isolated conversation. And the reason we decided to do this is actually in light of what we're looking to celebrate here this coming week. So today, as you can tell, what we want to do is we want to take some time to really talk about communion. We want to talk about why. Why do we practice communion? What's the purpose and what's the heart behind that? And again, the reason that we're having this conversation is in light of what we're celebrating and we're anticipating this coming week. Some of you know this weekend actually uh, kind of signifies the start of what is sometimes referred to as Holy Week. I don't know if you're familiar with that, if you've ever heard that before, uh, but Holy Week, Christians all around the world, people who follow Jesus, are taking this week to commemorate and to remember Holy Week. And if you're not familiar with that term, Holy Week is basically a week that remembers and looks back at uh, the final week of the life of Christ. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, those are sometimes called the Gospels. They're basically biographies about the life of Jesus. When you read those in the Bible, you, what you notice is that all four of them spend a lot of time really talking about that last week of Jesus's life. So the, the final week of Jesus's life uh, here before he was crucified is very well documented. And so what, what churches and what Christians and what religious groups all around the world do is they will oftentimes celebrate and commemorate and remember the events that took place that week. And so one of the ways that we do that here at Grace Church, I know that maybe, you, maybe if you grew up in a different religious setting, there's different ways that you celebrate Holy Week. But here at Grace Church, one of the ways that we do that is by offering uh, Good Friday services. And so you heard Clark just mentioned a moment ago, uh, this Friday we're gonna be offering Good Friday services. There's gonna be three opportunities to engage in that. And listen, I really want to encourage you to come out to that. I really do. And uh, that is a really special time where we get a chance to come together uh, as a community, really reflect on what Christ has done. It's really a time to prepare our hearts for Easter and what we get to celebrate. And it's just, it is really a special time uh, to be able to come out and do that together. If you come out for Good Friday services, we sing songs together. So we'll get a chance to sing and to worship God and to, to remember what Christ has done for us. But a huge element of what we do at Good Friday services is we practice communion. And so we get a chance to partake together in uh, this act of communion. Now, now, here's the thing. The reason that we wanted to have this conversation is because we don't ever want to just do something without explaining why we do it. Right? We don't ever just want to be people who go through the motions and just do things because that's what you always do. And so I wanted to just really kind of talk about this. Why do we do this? Why do we practice communion? And what's the significance behind it? And again, I think the reason this conversation is so important is because um, have you guys ever found that there's some things in life, and my guess is you can probably identify with this, there's some things in life that you're, that you're familiar with, right? Maybe it's a normal part of your life, maybe it's something that you pass by every day, and have you ever had it happen when there's something that's familiar or something that you know, you're kind of used to, and all of a sudden one day it occurs to you that you don't really know why it's there, or you don't, know really, you don't really know what the purpose of that thing is. Do you guys ever have an experience like that? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. All right, this is kind of a silly example. But uh, at the gym I go to, 
So my wife and I, when we, when we moved here to Medina, uh, one of the things that we did was we joined this gym here in Medina. And at the gym I go to, right next to the water fountains, is this thing. I'll show you. I actually took a picture of it. There's this thing right here, okay? And so I go to the gym. This thing is there. You could probably, I don't know if you could tell from the picture, it looks kind of like a water fountain, like a drinking fountain, but it's not, right? There's no place that you can drink, but there's a push button, and then there's this downward spigot thingy up here, and you press it, and water comes out, and that's kind of how it works. Now, this thing I see every time I go to the gym. It's right next to the water fountain, so every time I go to the gym, I get a drink. That thing is right there. Never really thought much about it until one day I invited a buddy of mine to go to the gym with me. So he came out, we're working out, and at one point went to get a drink of water, and my friend saw that thing, and he goes, dude, he goes, what is that? And I was like, oh, that thing? He's like, that's that thing that's always been there on the, you know, next to the water fountain. And he's like, yeah, but what does it do? He's like, why is it there? What is its purpose? And it occurred to me, I never really thought of it before. I mean, I had seen this thing, you know, every time I had been to the gym, I had seen this thing, but I never really kind of thought about it. So I said, you know what? I don't really know what it is. And so my friend and I started to look at this thing and we started to speculate. We started to conjecture, what could it possibly be? So we started thinking about, could it be this? Could it be that? We had no idea. Now, to make matters even more confusing, I don't know if you can tell, but there is a very unhelpful little sign up here. You guys see that? Let me just zoom in. Here's what it says, okay? Now notice, all caps, red, attention, this is not a water bottle filling station, three exclamation points, right? So I read that and I thought, boy, that doesn't help me very much, right? I'm like, I still don't know what it is, but I guess I know one thing that it's emphatically not, it's not a water bottle filling station. So I thought maybe I'd add some of my own signs. I was thinking about like, this is not a pony, right? This is not a urinal. I don't know, something like that, right? And thinking about answer. But we're, so we're looking at this thing like, well, what is it then? Like, what is this thing? And so it really got me. And I was like, we got to figure this out. We got to get to the bottom of this. And so I started to talk to some of the people that were regulars at the gym. And so I went to him and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm so, I don't mean to interrupt you in the middle of your workout. I was like, but can you please help me? Do you know what, the, what this thing is? And I'm, I'm telling you, every person we asked was like, you know what? I don't know. We work out here all the time. We've never really thought about it before. We just see that thing. We're like, well, okay. So then we started asking people that worked on staff. We're like, hey, do you know what this thing is? And they're like, you know what? We have no idea. It's just kind of always there. We don't know what it is. So, so I say all that to say, if you know what this is, can you please come find me after service and tell me? I'm dying to know what this thing does and what it is, right? So, so why do I tell you all that? Well, here, here's why I tell you that. I think all of us can probably relate with this experience, right? Uh, how many of you have found yourself that you've walked into a religious setting, you've walked into a church building, maybe you went to a wedding or a funeral at a church, and you started to look at something and you started to wonder, why do they do that? Right? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? What is the significance behind that thing. Or maybe, maybe you're a person uh, that maybe grew up in the church, right? Maybe you're a person who kind of, you're kind of familiar with religious stuff, right? None of this stuff is new to you. You just kind of grew up around it. And maybe for you, like me, it wasn't until you invited a friend and your friend asked you, hey, why do you guys do that? That all of a sudden occurred to you, you're like, you know what? I don't really know. It's just kind of what we've always done. I've never really thought about it before. Or maybe, maybe you're a person that didn't grow up in the church, right? Maybe you're not a church person. In fact, Grace Church might be the only church experience you've ever had. And if that's the case, you might be thinking to yourself, yes, thank you, right? That, that, that is an experience. You're like, you know what? You Christians, you guys do weird stuff all the time. 
You know, why is it that you do something? Why is it that when someone decides to follow Jesus, you dunk them in water? Like, that's weird, right? No one does that in any other place in life. Why do you guys get together and, and sing songs to, to Jesus? And some of you raise your hands. Like, that seems weird to, why do you guys moo a lot? We talked about that last week, the Christian mooing, right? Mm, like, what do you guys do? You guys do weird stuff here. And I think, I think, quite honestly, communion can be one of those things. It can be. That if you don't understand the significance and purpose, it can seem real strange. And, uh, and here's the thing. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you kind of grew up in the church and, uh, and you're vaguely familiar with communion, but maybe you never really stopped and thought about it. Maybe a person who didn't grow up in the church, and, but you're kind of from, but, but maybe you're like, what is that all about? And so what we want to do today is we actually want to spend the time that we have kind of demystifying it and explaining it. What is communion all about? Why, why do we take it? And what's its significance? And so that's what we're going to do here together today. Now, I just want to let you know, here at Grace Church, if you, if you come to Good Friday services, the way that we practice communion is a little bit different than maybe the way that some of you who have practiced communion outside of Grace Church. So if you grew up in a religious setting, we actually practice it in a slightly different way. And what I mean by that is the way that Grace Church practices communion is kind of more of an ancient form. It's actually probably much more the way that the early church would have practiced communion. And the way that we do that is we do something called, we call it threefold communion. I know that might sound like a weird term, but basically that means there's three parts. There's three parts. And so if you come out on Good Friday, there's three parts to our communion. Here's what they are. Okay, the three parts are, first and foremost, number one, part one of our communion is the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup. Now, my guess is this is the part that if you're familiar with communion, you're familiar with, right? This is when you have a little cup of juice or wine, and then you have the, the, the bread, like the little cracker or whatever that might be, right? The bread and the cup. The second part of communion that we celebrate is the foot washing. And so we do a foot washing, which I know for some of you are like, that seems really, really weird. That seems really strange. And we'll talk about that. It is a little weird. We'll talk about that. And the third part is the love feast. We do something called a love feast together, all right? Now, what I want to talk about is why do we do these things? What's the significance behind them? Because I think if you don't get the significance, they are really strange and they don't make any sense. But I think if you understand the heart behind it, it's actually very, very, very powerful. Now, before we jump into this conversation, I should also mention that the Bible's pretty clear. Communion is something that is really reserved for those who follow Jesus, okay? So, so for those of us who follow Christ, we actually would look and say that communion is something that Christ commands us and desires for us to engage in. And so that's another reason why I would encourage you to come out on Friday because it's an awesome time for us to, to really uh, kind of follow Jesus's directions and his directives on those things. But um, I would also say this. I would say that if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're investigating Jesus, we would actually really encourage you to come out as well. You're more than welcome to come and observe. In fact, I think it might be helpful for you if you're investigating Jesus to come and watch. And, and, and uh, we would love for you um, to get a chance to do that. But the reason that we celebrate communion, the reason why we do communion, we would actually say that there's three purposes. There's three reasons, there's three purposes that we practice communion. Let's just go through them. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The first reason that we practice communion is because in communion, we remember, we are remembering that Jesus has saved us from our sins. So why do we celebrate communion? Well, here's the first reason. is because when we practice communion, what we're doing is we are remembering, we are remembering together that Jesus has saved us from our sins. Now, the way that we do this, the way that we remember that Jesus has saved us from our sins is we take the bread and the cup. 
We take the bread and the cup. That's the way that we do that. Now, real quick, some of you maybe grew up in different religious traditions. Maybe you've heard it called the Eucharist. Has anyone ever heard that term before, the Eucharist? Okay, yes, a lot of you guys have. That term Eucharist is actually a really fancy word that literally just means thanks. That's what it means. And so what are we doing when we take the bread and the cup? We're remembering something that Jesus has done. And we are thanking him for something that he has done for us. In fact, let me just show you where we get this. Uh, one of the premier passages on uh, the bread and the cup would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me, go ahead and open them up, open up your Bible or open your Bible app and go ahead and get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Also, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, uh, page 799 in our Bibles. So feel free to take one of ours, uh, get there if you want to. And then let me just also mention to you that if you do not own a copy of the Bible, we would love for you to have one. So you can just take one of our copies, make that a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Okay, so page 799, 1 Corinthians 11, I'll meet you there. I'll also put the verses up here on the screen if you wanna follow along that way as well. So let's take a look. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an early church leader and uh, very, very influential in the movement of Christianity. Here's what he says, check this out. He says, the Lord Jesus, uh, in verse 23, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. All right, let me just pause there for a moment. So what's happening here is the apostle Paul is actually recounting uh, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. So many of you are aware of that. Jesus shared a meal, a final meal with his disciples the night before he died and he was crucified. We call it the last supper. And so Paul here is recounting that. And one of the things that we see, and uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians, but we see this in other places in the New Testament as well, is it tells us that what Jesus did at this last supper, one of the things that he commanded his disciples was to take the bread and the cup. This is the first time you see this. It was during the last supper where Jesus said, I want you to take this bread and eat it, it's a symbol of my broken body. I want you to take this cup and drink it. It's a symbol of my shed blood. Now here's the thing, now, I don't, for some of us, I think especially as modern readers, that can seem a little weird to us. Why is it that Jesus chose those two symbols to, to remember his sacrifice for us? Why did God, why did Jesus command us to eat bread that symbolizes his body and drink the cup that symbolizes his blood? That seems a little morbid and a little weird to us. But here's what I want you to understand, okay? That what Jesus said about the bread and the cup is actually deeply significant because of the day on which he said it. Now, if you notice here, he says that this happened on the night that he was betrayed. Now, here's what we know. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three biographies about Jesus, all three of them tell us that the night of this dinner was a very, very significant night on the Jewish calendar. And this is something you and I might not be aware of, but that night, that day, was part of something called the Passover celebration. Now, some of you maybe have heard that before, Passover celebration, the Passover feast. Maybe you've kind of heard about that before. The Passover celebration is a celebration. It's a very popular Jewish holiday. It still is a very popular Jewish holiday. And what they commemorate on Passover is they're actually remembering an event that took place all the way back in the Old Testament specifically in Exodus chapter 12, tells us about the event that we celebrate 
during Passover. In that event, some of you maybe have heard of this before. If, if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, you have some vague sense of reference, right? But basically what the story is, is the Bible tells us that the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were in Egyptian captivity. So they were slaves in Egypt underneath a guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, and he was harsh. He harshly treated the Jewish people. He held them in captivity, and he was merciless, right? And so the Bible says that the Israelites cried out to God. They said, deliver us, deliver us from this, this cruel treatment, from this captivity. So the Bible says that God did that. He sent a liberator to his people, a guy named Moses. And you guys might remember this. Moses went to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, can you tell me? Remember? No. Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let you go. And so God sent a series of plagues on Egypt. And the Bible says that the final plague that God sent you might remember this, was the angel of death. And before God sent that plague, the night before he sent that plague, God commanded his people to do something very, very, very fascinating. He said to them, I want you to, this night, I want you to each his families, take a lamb. And he said, I want you to slaughter that lamb, sacrifice that lamb. And he said, and then I want you to cook it and I want you to eat it. And then I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to spread that blood on the doorposts of your house. When the angel of death comes, whenever the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb, it will pass over you, it will pass over you, right? And so quite literally, God's people took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and they were saved by the blood of the lamb. And so the Bible tells us that after this happened, the Israelites went free. They were freed from their captivity, they were freed from their slavery, and they left that bondage, and they went out of Egypt. And after that happened, God told his people something really, really, really interesting. He looked at them and he said to them, he said, I don't ever want you to forget this. And so I want you to purposefully do something to remember what I have done to save you. And they practiced Passover. So every year, the Jewish people would practice Passover and they would have this celebration. Now, what's so significant is that the night that this dinner took place was on the night of that celebration. And so listen, when Jesus says to these people, to his disciples, these Jewish people, he says, this is my body, which has been broken. Some translations say it's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is the cup of a new covenant, a new covenant. The word covenant is a real churchy word. It just means arrangement. This isn't, there's a new arrangement in my blood. And when you do this, he says, maybe you could do this in remembrance of me. So what is Jesus saying? This is deeply significant to a Jewish audience. Jesus is essentially saying, I am the true Passover lamb. That in the same way that the lamb that, that back in the Passover, you slaughtered and you partook of, and you took that blood and, and, and God's judgment passed over so that you could be saved. He's saying, I am the true Passover lamb. And what I'm about to endure on the cross, the crucifixion, that, it, that is me, my body being broken, me being slaughtered, my blood being spilled, so that you might experience the forgiveness of sins. It was very, very, very powerful. And so here he says this. He says, I want you to do this. He says to his disciples, I want you to do this in remembrance. I want you to remember the significance of this. So, so when we practice the bread and the cup, if, if you come to our Good Friday services, when we do that, what are we doing? Here's what we're doing. We are creating a space to push our hearts, our minds, and our affections down on what Christ has done for us. We're remembering that he has saved us from our sins, that because of an event, because he died on the cross, that we go free. Our sins are passed over. 
And so, so, so figuratively, when we, when we drink of the cup and when we eat of the bread, we are symbolically, all this is a symbol, we are symbolically ingesting, digesting, and internalizing what Christ has done for us. That's what we're doing when we take the bread and the cup. Now, what I think is interesting is look what he says next. First Corinthians 11, Paul goes on to say, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here Paul says, there's really two things you're doing when you take the bread and the cup. You're remembering and you're proclaiming the Lord's death. That's what you're doing. You're remembering and you're proclaiming. Now some of you will be like, well, what does that mean to proclaim? That's kind of strange. Some of you have translations. The word says announce. Quite literally, what that word means, it means proclaim, announce, it means celebrate. It means you're celebrating. So what are we doing? We're taking the bread and the cup. We're remembering something Jesus has done and we're celebrating that. We're outwardly doing something to proclaim and to celebrate and to identify ourselves with it. I don't know if this is helpful for you. This was helpful for me. I think one good way to think about, about the bread and the cup and what we're doing is um, to think a little bit of like a wedding anniversary. So um, this past week, my wife and I actually cele- we celebrated our 11th wedding anniversary. As a matter of fact, today is actually our 11th wedding anniversary. So it's been 11 years today. So March 24th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, geez. Thanks. You guys don't have to clap for that. What'd you get me? That's not, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Kind of. But uh, no, but we, uh, it's 11 years today. And, uh, and so we celebrated yesterday. But think about it for a minute. What is a wedding anniversary? Think about that. What is it? Well, here's what a wedding anniversary is. It is a reminder on your calendar, right? It is a concentrated space to remember and to celebrate something that has happened. You're remembering and celebrating an event, something that happened that made you married. That's what an anniversary, a wedding anniversary is, right? A wedding anniversary doesn't make you married, but it's a concentrated space to press your mind and your heart and your affections down on something that has happened. And you celebrate that together. That's what you do when you, because I think all of us know this, if you're a married person in this room, it's easy to take that for granted. It's easy to take the fact that you're married and that you love each other for granted. It just kind of, but when you have an anniversary, it's a concentrated, dedicated space for you to say, you know what, we're going to think about this. We're going to remember this. We're going to celebrate this. And so my wife and I, we went out to dinner, and I, we, we always find that whenever it's, I always found this, that whenever it's a wedding anniversary, we always end up remembering. We always end up going back and thinking about, oh, remember when that, that day we got married and remember you know, all the little nuances? I think I've told you guys before, between our, uh, our wedding ceremony and our reception, we stopped at Taco Bell and we got, a, we got chalupas and caramel apple empanadas. And, uh, and I just, we remember that. You know, it's just so we remember, man, that was such a, and then we celebrate, we celebrate. We actually go and we proclaim, we go do something, right? We're gonna celebrate this. Let's go get dinner. And then we, we, we talk about it. We talk about, you know, celebrate the past 11 years of marriage and all the blessings that God has brought with that. You know, four kids, the blessings of that. We talk about the challenging times of 11 years of marriage. You know, four kids and uh, all that comes with that. We, we talk about that. But that's, that's kind of what he's saying here about the bread and the cup. It's a concentrated space for us to, to do that. And so we have a chance to, to kind of do that as well. And like I said, um, an anniversary doesn't make you married. An anniversary is celebrating that you already are married. And I would say this in the same way. I put this in my notes. I thought this was helpful. Maybe you want to jot this down too. So we take the bread and cup not to make ourselves acceptable to God, but we take the bread and the cup as a reminder that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are made acceptable to God. 
okay? So the reason we take communion isn't because we wanna keep ourselves in right standing with God and so I have to make sure I do this to do that. No, 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 that's not why we do it. We do it because it is us saying, we're remembering what Christ has done and his sacrifice for us. We do that. So why do we take communion? Here's the first reason. The first reason, we're remembering that Jesus has saved us from our sins. But that's not the only reason. Here's a second purpose of communion. We are, we are in communion remembering that Jesus is saving us from our sins. We're remembering that Jesus, not just that he has, but that he is saving us from our sins. sins. Theologians would call this sanctification. That's what they would call this. That Jesus is continuing this perfecting work in our lives. Right? And the way that we celebrate this, the way that we remember this, is through the act of foot washing. Foot washing. Now, let's just be honest. Foot washing's weird. It's awkward. It's strange. In fact, if you've ever been to a Grace Church communion service and no one explained to you why we do foot washing, you probably thought, what cult did I just walk into, right? Because it's awkward and it's strange. Because let's be honest, feet are gross. My feet are real gross. I always feel bad for anyone who has to wash my feet. So that that begs a good question then, right? If it's weird and it's gross, why do we do it? Do we just do that because we like awkward things here at the Medina East Campus? And uh, here's the thing. Contrary to popular belief, no, we don't just like doing awkward things here for the sake of doing awkward things. We actually believe that foot washing is something that Jesus commands us and, and, and implores us to do and that there's a blessing that kind of comes along with it. In fact, let me show you the passage that we, we go to for this. This is actually in John chapter 13. In one, of, um, in one of the gospels or in one of those biographies about Jesus's life, John tells us something really interesting and unique that happened uh, on that night of the Last Supper. So during that last, that same meal where Jesus did the bread and the cup, something else happened that night. It's really unique. Check it out. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped the towel around his waist. Now watch this. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So this is kind of unique. The Bible says during this dinner, and we don't know exactly when this happened in the dinner, but at some point, Jesus gets up, and the Bible says that he kneels down, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. One by one, he starts washing their feet. Now, I know to you and I, that seems real bizarre. Like, washing people's feet is just, there's, there's, this never happens in our society in any normal place. But I want you to know that back in this time, foot washing was not abnormal. It actually was pretty common. It was a common thing to have your feet washed. A lot of you guys know this. Back in these times, everyone wore sandals, and so you would walk everywhere, right? And so there was dust, and there was, you know, dirt, and there was animals. And so your feet got dirty. Like, they would get, you know, dirty, And so whenever you went to someone's house, it was customary that a servant would wash your feet. So it was the job of a servant, and not just any servant. Only the lowliest of servants, the most undignified of servants, would wash your feet. And so here something really profound is happening. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, who the Bible says just a minute ago, recognized that all power had been given to him by his Father, takes that power and leverages it in such a way that he bends down and he begins to wash the disciples. He takes the role of a lowly servant, the most undignified role imaginable. I mean, here you have a beautiful picture of the humility and the servanthood of Jesus. 
And so he washes the disciples' feet. Now, what's really kind of fascinating, watch this next thing that happens. The Bible says that he came to Simon Peter. So Simon Peter was one of the disciples. So, so you can imagine Jesus is going down the line. He's washing everyone's feet. He gets to Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And so Peter comes back. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Now, you guys know Peter. He's the most kind of energetic and lively of the bunch. And so Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. And so then Peter comes in. Then, then Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, give me a bath, you know? And I love Jesus. Jesus answered. He just imagined, he's like, oh, Peter. You know, so he's like, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Now, this is a really weird dialogue, right? What is the meaning of this? So Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He gets to Peter, and Peter's like, Jesus, you should never wash my feet. I am not worthy for you to wash my feet. And so Jesus says, Peter, I know you don't get it right now, but you're gonna get it later. But if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter's like, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, no, it's not how it works. I just need to wash your feet. Your whole body is already clean. You don't need to get, you know, a whole bath. You just need your feet washed. Now, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. Uh, almost all commentators unanimously agree that this is all figurative. And what Jesus is really saying is this. He's pointing to the reality that when a person puts their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, that they are cleansed from their sins. You have been forgiven of your sins if you put your faith in Christ. His crucifixion for us on the cross is enough, right? That's true. But here's the reality. When a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden they stop sinning miraculously. Is there anyone here who follows Jesus that would say that, yeah, you found that to be true, that after you started following Jesus, that, yeah, okay, just one of you. I guess the rest of you are all perfect and sinless. So that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so, but that's like, so, so here he's saying, what, what are we, what's he talking about? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you give your life to Christ, you're clean. But as you walk on the journey of following Jesus, and you're gonna stumble and fall, you're gonna pick up some dirt and some grime along the way. Now, that doesn't mean that we're okay with sin, not at all, but it means we recognize that it's gonna be a normal part of our, and we need Christ. We need his, the theologians would call it his sanctifying work to cleanse us every day as we continue to, down this journey of following Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. Watch this next thing. Jesus goes on, says, when he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, is what he says. He goes on, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. And so here's what Jesus says. He gets down, he washes the disciples' feet. He says, you're already clean. You already have been forgiven. He says, but along the journey, you're gonna need your feet washed. I'm going to continue to forgive you. I'm gonna continue to save you from your sin increasingly. But then he turns and he says, and so you guys need to do that for each other. I've set an example. So you should wash each other's feet. Now, what's he talking about? Here's what he's saying. We should continue to extend forgiveness and love to each other that in the same way that Jesus is continuing to bear with us and forgive us of our sins, we should in turn do the same for each other because of what Christ has done for us. And so when we wash each other's feet, 
It's a symbolic act of us saying that, yes, Jesus is saving us from our sins. And because of that, we can forgive each other of our our sins. So what we do here, um, if you come to our Good Friday services, what we do, part of our communion is that we literally will take some time to encourage people to wash each other's feet. So we have basins of water. We usually have it out there. We encourage families, husbands and wives, parents and kids to wash each other's feet. We encourage life groups, uh, people who are part of the same life group, friends who are uh, friends in, in, in Christ, who are followers of Jesus, to wash each other's feet. If you come out, by the way, to these services and you come by yourself, like if you don't know anybody, we actually have people who would love to help you with that, would love to, to, to do that together. Now, here's the thing. If that totally wigs you out and you feel completely uncomfortable, you could just observe. It's not a big deal. There's no pressure with it. But I will say this. I think what Jesus says here is actually true, that, that, there is, that we are blessed if we do these things. That there's some, and I'll just tell you personally, I have found that this element of communion has been one of the most significant and impactful aspects of the entire experience. And I can't explain it much better than that except to say that it is very powerful. Now, let's be honest. I'll just be honest with you. It's humiliating. It, it just is. It, there's something about it that's humiliating. And I don't know about, maybe I'm just speaking for myself on this. I actually don't mind washing other people's feet. That doesn't bother me, not, not that much. I actually don't like it when someone else washes my feet. It makes me feel vulnerable. It, it makes, you know, it kind of makes you, it's, it's a weird feeling. It's deeply humiliating. And I think, I think it's that way for a reason. I think there's something real powerful about that imagery about Christ's servanthood to us and the way that we serve each other and the way that we need that forgiveness. I think there's something real powerful. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you've never done that before, at least you know why we do it, right? And that kind of helps you with that. So why do we practice communion? What's the purpose behind it? We are remembering that Jesus has saved us from our sins. We are remembering that he is saving us from our sins. And here's the final thing. I'm sure you probably already guessed it. The third thing we do in communion is we are remembering that Jesus will save us from our sins, that he will. That is to say that one day we will be completely and totally and fully done with sin. That one day we will be in a glorified place where there is no more sin, there's no more death, there's no more tears, there's no more disease. There's a glorified state of existence when the fullness of the kingdom comes. We will experience that and it'll be wonderful. That's the Christian hope. The Christian hope is not that we serve a dead Jesus, but we serve a Jesus who rose from the dead and who offers us resurrection. And that one day, uh, because Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death, we will live in a reality where there is no Satan, sin, and death. And we will be done forever with sin. Now, the way that we celebrate this hope and remember this hope is we do something called a love feast, okay? Now, if you come out on Friday, you'll see it's hardly a feast, all right? It's like cheese and crackers and grapes. That's what it is for us. But, but and we, we make sure we wash our hands real well because we just wash each other's feet. So we like, we just like, you know, Purell up like crazy. And then, and then we do this. But why do we do it? The reason we do a feast or at least kind of take a meal together is because of what the book of Revelation says. The book of Revelation chapter 19, when it gives us a picture of that, that kind of final state of when we are finally done with our sin, fully and finally done with sin, the Bible calls that the, a picture, the symbolic picture is that it's like a wedding reception, the wedding feast of the lamb. And, uh, and so we celebrate that together. We take some time to go out, to eat together, to 
share the hope that we have, to remember the hope of what it's gonna be like one day when we're fully and finally saved. And again, I think everything I just mentioned to you, hopefully that demystifies a little bit of why we do communion the way that we do it and the significance that lies behind it. But I have to say this. I have to say that this teaching tonight is actually incomplete until you enact it. That's that's the big takeaway. The big takeaway tonight is that I actually want to really encourage you to, to make some space to come out and join us on Good Friday. I think it's a real special time and I think that as you go through those, those particular movements, those three movements, and if, as you kind of press your heart and your mind down on each of those segments, I think you'll find that it is a really powerful thing. And, and whenever we can take that concentrated time uh, to really think through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, to think through what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he will do for us, I'm telling you, that does something to your heart. And it prepares you. I just don't want you to go through this Easter season and just miss it. And so take this time to really uh, prepare your heart, prepare yourself before we come back next Sunday and get a chance next Saturday and Sunday to celebrate Easter together. That's the band to come up. And as they make their way up, why don't we pray together? Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you that you have, you know us well enough that you have built in a regular way to remind us to remember because the truth is, God, that we forget pretty often. It's easy to take what you've done for us for granted. It's easy for us to, to take the significance of your sacrifice and the significance of your work and the significance of the hope that we have and uh, I just forget about it, you know, let it kind of fade off in a noise, kind of fade in the back of our minds, not be an ever-present reality at the forefront of our thinking. But God, I, I'm thankful that you've, you've commanded us to do these things in remembrance of what you've done. So I pray that you would help us to, to do that, God. Help us to, to really press our minds and hearts and affections down on those things. Jesus, I want to say thank you that you saved us from our sins. It sounds so, um, it just sounds so normal to say that, but man, I pray that that would never lose its power what you've done for us, God. I wanna say thank you that you are saving us, that every day you're making us more and more like you, that your Holy Spirit is working on our lives to do that. Thank you. I thank you that you will fully and finally save us, or that we will be done with sin, and we'll be done with death, and we'll be done with disease, and we'll be done with tears, that we desperately hope for that world, and we know that in you we have it. And so God, I pray that as we even worship and sing now, Would you allow us to worship and sing with an open heart and a glad heart for what you've done? So I'm gonna ask these things in Jesus' name.